It's 6pm and you are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Monday, February 7th, 2022. I'm Kelly Reese and this is the KVMR Evening News. Up ahead on the California Report, an overview of the state's public school bus system, its mounting inaccessibility to students, and its hazardous work environment for drivers. Then in National Native News, a high school teacher in Riverside, California, has been fired after a video of the math instructor mocking Native Americans goes viral. We then turn our attention to local news and weather before Sierra Gold Parks Foundation board member, Sid Brown, takes us for our bi-weekly walk in the park. This is the California Report, and I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. A lot of us have memories of taking the school bus to school as a kid. But in recent years, there have been cuts to school districts' bus service in the state, especially in communities that already are disadvantaged. One federal study back in 2017 found only 9% of California students ride a school bus. That's the lowest number in the country. One reason? Well, California, unlike other states, doesn't require districts to provide school transportation for students. Even though when bus service is cut, it can contribute to chronic absenteeism. In the different surveys that our school districts have done, the number one reason for missing school has been lack of transportation. That's State Senator Nancy Skinner from the Bay Area. She's proposed legislation that would set aside state funds to pay for daily busing service to and from public schools. We have free public education in California, and we don't need to have a charge on the thing that gets you to school. There's no tax increase associated with Skinner's bill, and she says the upfront investment will create important results. While it does increase costs, to provide this home-to-school transportation, there's also lots of increased costs when our school system is failing our students. But even if Skinner's legislation is passed, can enough school bus drivers be found? Many districts are already reporting problems hiring and keeping drivers because of the job market and COVID. And as KQED's Alex Hall reports in Sacramento, school bus drivers are speaking out about poor working conditions they're faced with. SEIU Local 1021 says Sacramento City Unified School District supervisors have told bus drivers who tested positive for COVID to continue working and put kids who have tested positive on school buses. Cassandra Wills says that, coupled with low pay, is motivating bus drivers like her to leave for other jobs. We have to let the windows down. We have no ventilation. Some of these kids don't keep their mask on. They're in there coughing. You know, some of the parents is against the kids wearing masks. We're dealing with a lot over here at transportation. In a statement, Sacramento City Unified said it is district policy to tell all employees to stay home if they have COVID. For the California Report, I'm Alex Hall. When the Omicron surge first swept through California, nursing homes implemented more stringent testing requirements for visitors. It was right about the same time that California started allowing COVID-positive nurses who aren't showing symptoms to keep showing up to work. That has many visitors feeling confused and frustrated. KCRW's Kaylee Wells dug into why it's so hard to visit long-term care facilities these days and what that's doing to people living inside. As recently as last year, Mercedes Vega saw her brother Manny all the time. He has a tracheostomy, so he can't speak, but she knows he recognizes her. She'd brush his teeth, 
do physical therapy with him, and use the community room for parties like this one. Here with my brother, super happy. Come see him Friday again. Getting my vaccine this week so I can hug him. Now her visits sound more like this. So I don't know if maybe we could move the camera a little bit. But ever since the Omicron variant caused COVID cases to spike, Hollywood Presbyterian Medical Center paused those up-close and personal visits. Most days, it doesn't feel worth it, so she does virtual visits instead. Because now, if Vega wants to see her brother in person, it's through plexiglass with walkie-talkies. It seems like when you visit someone in prison, there's like that big window and then there's like huge distance. To even get to the plexiglass or any kind of in-person visit at a long-term care facility in California, you need to show proof of a negative COVID test, either a rapid test from the past 24 hours or a PCR test from the past 48 hours. But anyone who's taken a COVID test recently knows that's harder than it sounds. Home tests are very hard to come by. I mean, everybody's pretty much out of them. Before the pandemic, Sonia Anastasio visited her husband every day after he suffered a severe stroke nearly six years ago. Now she's struggling to see him at Fountain View Subacute and Nursing Center in East Hollywood, where he lives. Um, even if we get an appointment, just getting the results back, uh, they give us 48 hours for a PCR test. And sometimes we're getting it back within maybe 48 to 72 hours, which is senseless. The facility told me in a statement that they're following state regulations. So while Anastasio struggles to prove it's safe to let her inside, asymptomatic health care providers are allowed to show up for work regardless of whether they're infected. I strongly believe that it's so wrong. They go out, they, you know, they're doing exactly the same thing as I'm doing. Why are they making us get tested every single time? It's called dealing with reality. Here's Governor Gavin Newsom defending the move last month. The pragmatism, not what you want, but what you need to do at a time of challenge and scarcity. Meanwhile, the vigorous testing protocols for visitors are exposing some patients to another risk that can have equally deadly consequences, long-term isolation. Tony Chikatel is an attorney with California Advocates for Nursing Home Reform. Visitors provide uh, connection to the outside world and engagement with the community, help people avoid depression, all those things. Loneliness doesn't get listed on a death certificate, of course, but a group of researchers out of Chicago found two-thirds of the residents they surveyed lost weight in the first year of the pandemic. Chikatel's seen that, too, and it's not a good sign. You know, through experience, I find that weight is often a proxy for health, and when the weight starts to slip, the health starts to deteriorate and people get sick and die. Vega says her brother has lost weight, and she's seen his dental hygiene get worse. Hollywood Presbyterian said patient care has not been impacted by the pandemic. Anastasio says her husband isn't the same either. Fountain View wouldn't comment about Anastasio's claim, citing privacy concerns. I did, you know, his grooming every day. I oral care every day. They didn't have to do any of that. I did physical therapy for him. Now, you know, he's a little stiffer. It's detrimental. My husband has has deteriorated a lot. Um, He's not the same. In the meantime, local health officials say we've seen the peak of the current surge. The hope is that waning case rates will come with more in-person visits and better days for patients ahead. For The California Report, I'm Kaylee Wells in Los Angeles. Support for the California Report comes from Stanford Healthcare, alerting listeners to the critical blood shortage in the area. Now's the time to donate blood and make a difference. StanfordBloodCenter.org. 
the Wesley Foundation, investing in California's underserved youth. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement. And that is the California Report for Monday, February 7th. We are a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening. Up ahead in National Native News, Walter Echo Hawk Jr., a prominent Native visual artist, has been charged with a crime against a child in Oklahoma, and a high school teacher in Riverside, California, faces dismissal after a viral video of the math teacher shows her mocking Native Americans. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. A youth and family center in Oregon is keeping an eye on Native American priorities in the state legislature. The short session kicked off last week as Governor Kate Brown delivered her last State of the State address. Eric Tigodoff has more. Brown gave her final address as Oregon governor virtually this year. She outlined a host of priorities, including a $400 million proposal to address affordable housing. The focus on housing and homelessness aligns with the center's goals. William Miller is head of the NEA Action Fund. Continued investments in communities that are most impacted is really the most important thing. With COVID and all the issues we've experienced with that, our communities are continuing to struggle. And our youth are struggling, right, in terms of our education and being out of the classroom for so long because of COVID. In education, the NEA Action Fund is supporting money to provide professional learning opportunities to educators on ethnic studies standards and funding for the Department of Early Learning and Care. In her speech, Brown proposed a $100 million investment in child care. Brown also touted her work advocating for tribal nations in Oregon. Miller says the Legislative Commission on Indian Services has good relationships with tribal partners. I know Governor Brown has worked to do that as well. And so I think it'll also be really important for whoever the next governor becomes to continue that same relationship building and fostering that relationship with our tribal partners. Brown says addressing racial disparities in housing and the workforce will be key for her remaining time in office. The NEA Action Fund is supporting a measure from the governor that would expand access to culturally relevant preschool. The organization also hopes lawmakers approve a bill to declare racism a public health crisis, which would create two mobile health units. I'm Eric Tegadoff. A Native artist has been charged with a crime involving a minor in Pawnee, Oklahoma. Indians.com reports Walter Echohawk Jr., known as Bunky, an internationally known visual artist, is facing one felony of lewd acts with a child under 16. He was arrested, booked, and made an initial court appearance in January. Public knowledge of his case started being widely circulated across social media over the weekend. After his mugshot was posted in an Oklahoma publication featuring mugshots and criminal stories. A hearing involving the matter is set for March 15th. His artwork and murals are well-known and featured across Indian country. A high school teacher in Riverside, California, who was videotaped wearing a fake headdress and mocking Native Americans, has been fired. A cell phone video went viral in October showing the math teacher dancing, chanting, and wearing a headdress while teaching a class at John W. North High School. The Press Enterprise reports the Riverside School Board voted last week 4-1 to for her dismissal. Members of the Native community, tribal organizations, and a Native American state lawmaker immediately called on the school district to take action. 
Assemblymember James Ramos met with the Riverside Unified School District in November and says the district is working on curriculum and policy for Native American education and is moving to create a local task force with tribes. The school district will reportedly soon announce its diversity plans. The Bureau of Indian Education is distributing more than one million masks to schools. The BIE announced Friday 600,000 surgical masks will go to K-12 students at all its 183 BIE-funded schools. 600,000 N95 masks will go to staff and adult students, including at Haskell Indian Nations University in Kansas and the Southwestern Indian Polytechnic Institute in New Mexico. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. There are now booster recommendations for all three available COVID-19 vaccines in the United States, and you may choose which booster shot you receive. More info at aaip.org or cdc.gov slash coronavirus who support this show. Support by Vision Maker Media, currently seeking documentary film proposals for public media television broadcasting that represent the cultures, experiences, and perspectives of Native Americans and Alaska Natives. Deadline for submission is Friday, February 11th at visionmakermedia.org. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. Now let's take a look at today's regional news. Last Saturday, February 5th, 72-year-old William Smallfield of Truckee drowned after several people fell through the ice while skating at Stampede Reservoir, north of Lake Tahoe, authorities said. Washoe and Placer County dive teams recovered the body of the drowning victim late Sunday morning, Sierra County Sheriff's officials say in an update. Quote, We urge everyone to stay off the ice on area lakes. It is impossible to know the safety and stability of the ice, especially with recent warmer temperatures, end quote, the Truckee Fire Protection District wrote in a Facebook post. Stampede Reservoir is about 15 miles north of Truckee, just east of Highway 89. This reported by the Sacramento Bee. A Lyman Gilmore Middle School substitute teacher involved in an incident last week over a student's mask, which showed a thin blue line flag pattern, will not be working with the district any longer, administrators say. The 8th grader's mother, Amanda McCallum, shared video of the altercation on her Facebook page. The Union of Grass Valley reports in the video, the substitute teacher involved can be heard saying that the thin blue line flag is, quote, not an American flag, end quote, and calling it, quote, the new Confederacy flag, end quote. According to McCallum, Lyman Gilmore Middle School principal, Lisa Lowell, said she had filed a request to blacklist the substitute from teaching at any schools in Nevada County. In a conversation with Grass Valley School District Superintendent Andrew Withers, McCallum said she learned from him that the district would also be putting a report together to submit at the state level in response to the incident, which may result in the individual no longer being able to work as a substitute teacher statewide. One of two brothers hiking Saturday, February 5th to the Sierra Butte Lookout, a challenging 4.8-mile out-and-back trail that takes nearly three hours to complete, was found dead this Sunday. 
They left early in the morning and became separated when returning to the car, according to the Sierra County Sheriff's Office. Rescuers located and recovered the missing hiker from a ridge above Young America Lake. The hiker likely fell from the ridge line and died from his injuries. This reported by the Sacramento Bee. Now let's take a look at our regional weather. For those in Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight, mostly clear with a low around 40. Tomorrow, sunny with a high near 72. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight, mostly clear with a low around 23. Tomorrow, sunny with a high near 50. And in Sacramento and Woodland, tonight, patchy fog after 4 a.m., otherwise mostly clear with a low around 38. Tomorrow, patchy fog before 8 a.m., otherwise sunny with a high near 70. Coming up, Sid Brown from the Sierra Gold Parks Foundation is here to take us on our bi-weekly A Walk in the Park. Stay tuned for the latest on Western Nevada County's three state parks. Sierra Gold Parks Foundation is an organization. We're a nonprofit, and our entire raison d'etre is to support the three state parks in Western Nevada County. We support park-related educational activities, and we work to help to preserve the natural and cultural resources of those three parks. And it's my pleasure to share with you what's happening at each of the parks. I haven't been to Malakoff in the last couple of days, but Malakoff Diggins is a gem for our community. So if you haven't been out there lately, I encourage you to go to Malakoff Diggins State Historic Park. You get there from Nevada City going on Highway 49 to Tyler Foot Road. And follow the signs. It's about 15 miles from the Tyler Foot Highway 49 intersection. If you go that direction in that way, you are on paved roads and your car will thank you. The park is open. The trails are open. If you have any questions about the conditions at Malakoff Diggins, I encourage you to call the park and they will give you the update. And the phone number for Malakoff is... 530 is the area code, and 265-2740. As I said last time, there's some muddy trails, so it's always a good idea to bring an extra pair of shoes, maybe a bag for your muddy boots from your walking in the park. But some of the trails have no mud at all, and others maybe a little bit. At South Yuba River State Park, the wildflowers have already begun, even though early this first week in February. We've had some really warm weather. I really am hoping we get some actual winter weather coming up soon, but right now there's no storms in the forecast. The days are sunny, the skies are blue, and the wildflowers are already starting to pop. On Buttermilk Bend, I happen to notice that the poison oak is uh, popping out. So, if depending on your sensitivity, you can get poison oak from the, the dry sticks that have no leaves on them. And you also can really get it from the oil of the plants when they're early in the spring. So the oil from the plants can get on your clothes. It can get on your pet's fur. So do watch out for poison oak. And it's so interesting. Poison oak, leaves of three, let it be. It looks like an oak. And the leaves can be any color. They can be bright green. When they first come out, they can be a deep, dark purple. They can have a red and even a yellow glow. So 
do watch out for those low-growing sticks that can produce a very annoying and, and bothersome rash, especially for those who are sensitive like me. At Empire Mine, we are having tours pretty much every day of the week now, led by our docents, and the tours are usually at 11, 12, 1, and 2. Those tours are free with the price of admission. So at Empire Mine State Park, it's just $5 per person. Five Under 5 is free, and the parking at South Yuba is for $5, and the same is at Malakoff Diggins State Historic Park. So those are really reasonable prices to gain access to some of the county's most beautiful places. Well, I would encourage you and remind you to please, when you go outside to enjoy our parks, keep in mind the precept and concept of leaving no trace. If you bring your animal, your pet, your dog, keep them on a leash and please clean up after your animal. I saw a, a little green bag stuck inside a little crevice of a rock yesterday at Bridgeport, and I was just shook my head wondering what the owner of that dog thought was going to happen to that little green bag. So there, we have plenty of trash receptacles for you, and we do encourage everybody to do their part to keep our parks clean and enjoyable for all. When we have this great weather, it's a wonderful time to get outside, so I do encourage you to explore. Each of the three parks have something different to offer, so please keep in mind this is our shared heritage, and uh, let's keep them enjoyable and appreciated for years to come in perpetuity. You know, State Parks' mission is to promote and preserve resources, natural and cultural resources in perpetuity. And Sierra Gold Parks Foundation, we we mirror the mission and the goals of California State Park System. So join us and um, get out on the trails and see you next time. That's our newscast for this Monday, February 7th. You can listen to an extended version of A Walk in the Park on our webpage, kvmr.org, or wherever you get your podcasts. Sid Brown sits on the board of the Sierra Gold Parks Foundation and joins us every other week with news and updates from Nevada County's three state parks. Learn more at sierragoldparksfoundation.org. KVMR gets support from Sweetland Garden Mercantile, North San Juan, Offering organic gardening materials, hardware, PVC, and Dave Wilson and Felix Gillet bare root trees. Monday through Saturday, 9 to 5. 292-9000. Sweetlandgm.com. Dig it. And Ghost Town Woodworks. Sustainably sourced woodworking in Grass Valley. Handcrafting artisan furniture, tables, and slab flattening. Utilizing native and exotic wood. Table designs are featured at Fable Coffee and Heartwood Annex, Nevada City. Ghosttown.net Stick around, coming up at 6.30 we have Disability Wrap. Join co-hosts Carl Sigmund and Carly Pacheco as they hear from Grass Valley resident Kathleen Parsons, who lost power during December's snowstorm and was displaced from her home for 19 days. They also speak with Alex Guinness about his research into the intersection of disability and climate change. Then at 7, we have Democracy Now! with host Amy Goodman. The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza. 
Thanks for listening to the news this evening. I'm Kelly Reese, signing off.